Excellent. Thank you for being here today. It's so good to gather together as God's people. Um, I, I never grow familiar with this. And, and it's my hope that none of us grow familiar with this. Now, I don't mean being outside, but just the, the mere opportunity to gather together. Um, it's a huge privilege that we can gather together at all, that we can gather together as God's people, that we can gather together to worship Jesus, to be encouraged by him. And this is a, a massive means of grace. Maybe, maybe you came today and you were just thinking, hey, I'm going to try this whole church outside thing and see how it goes. Um, what I want to do is reset your expectations. This is a major means of God's grace, and, and God imparts grace to us through these times. When we gather together, Hebrews 10 tells us that, that something unique happens. We're able to encourage one another. We're able to build each other up. We, we stir each other up to love and good deeds. And this is the means by which we actually remain in the faith. So this morning is a wonderful blessing to be with you. It's Thank you for being a part of this imperfect gathering. We're still sorting out the, the details and trying to figure out how does all this shade work? Where does it work best? Um, you know, where where's the shadows, all that kind of thing. If you are in need of shade, um, there is... I know nobody likes sitting at the front um, because a lot of us have different backgrounds that we, we want to sit as far back as possible. If you're in need of shade, there's a big shady spot over here, and, and I'll do you a favor. I won't even look at you if you want. If you want to come up here and move into the shade, feel free to do that. Um, we want to take away whatever barriers we can for us receiving from the Lord. So um, thank you for being with us today. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We are continuing in our series in the book of John. Last week, we saw how Jesus came to this thirsty, desperate woman, and he came and offered his living water. And then this week, we're going to see that response. What happens when someone drinks of the living water that Christ offers? What's the expected response? What is the natural response? What is or supernatural response that happens? So look in John chapter 4, verse 26 to 42. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She had just finished talking, by the way, about the Messiah and saying, I know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to reveal all things to us. And then Jesus drops this bomb. And he says, I who speak to you am he. And that's where we pick up this morning. I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. Now, now remember for a second here, she, she came to draw water, okay? So something's happened here that made her leave her water jar. She goes away into town. She says to the people, look in verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not, do not know of. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and comes a harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. 
For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, you've entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's just pray for God's word to penetrate our hearts. God, when we read passages like this that are familiar to us, it's, it's easy for us just to think, oh, that's nice. But God, I pray that that would not be effective this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would make these words alive to us. We need your supernatural work. We need you to enliven us. We need a fresh drink of your living water today. And then I pray that that fresh living water would well up in e inside each and everyone here. And it would result in us being empowered for witness. God, I pray that you would enable all of us to hear, to set aside all the distractions. And Lord, I pray that you enable me to preach and set aside all the distractions. God, thank you for your holy word for us. I pray that your living word would water our souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, back in 2018, the Barna Group, they did a study, and they said that 29% of, of Christians who've had a conversion about faith at some point in their life, they said that evangelism is the church's responsibility. Sharing the gospel is the church's responsibility and not the individual's responsibility. Did you catch that? There's a, as if there's somehow a difference between people in the church and the church. Same study revealed that only 64%, so 36% of Christians thought that, you know, every Christian has responsibility to share their faith is, is, is not really our responsibility. So 36% so of people who claim to be Christians go, go to church regularly said, 36% said, you know what? It's not our responsibility to share the gospel. Last year, another study among Christians said that the best thing that could ever, that could ever happen to anybody is if they could come to know Jesus. But then of those people who said the best thing and by the way, is that the best thing for you? The best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. Of that group, and I hope that's most of the folks here, I hope that's all the folks here today. Of that group, 27% of, of those who are in the Gen X generation, and then 20, I'm sorry, 46% of, of millennials, 27% of Gen Xers, and about 20% of boomers and elders, they thought that it's at least somewhat wrong to share one's personal beliefs with somebody of a different faith in hopes that one day they'll share their faith. Almost half of all millennials, 27% of people in my generation, I guess I'm, I'm considered the Gen X still, although I get older, it feels like I should be in my 20s and be Gen X. But, and those even in the, in the boomer category now and, and elders, 20% of them feel like, hey, it, it's wrong to share your faith with somebody of another faith. Now, the reality is that everybody is of some faith. The question for us today is, how about you? How about you? Do you believe the best thing that could ever happen to someone is knowing Jesus? 
And if you believe that, what's stopping us from telling others about Jesus? I don't say that to induce guilt, but to get us to think. We, we need to be thinking individuals. We need to think critically about what we believe and why we believe it. And then do we see that fruit? And then are we carrying that to other people? I think one of the, one of the biggest things that stops me, at least, and I think stops most believers, it's, it's fear coupled with unbelief. Fear and unbelief. And fear, you know, sometimes we don't share our witness, our testimony, like this woman and the Samaritan. We don't share our witness and testimony because sometimes we feel like we're not good enough. Anybody ever feel like you're not good enough to share the gospel? Raise your hand if you're, if you're going to be honest with me. Feel like we haven't changed enough, that my witness isn't good enough. I, I, I'm still a mess, and so I don't feel like I, I have any right to share the gospel. Sometimes we feel like we'll be exposed for the hypocrites that we feel like we are because we continue to fail. Any, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that one because it's, it's hard to raise your hand and say, I feel like I'm a hypocrite sometimes, and I continue to fail. Sometimes we feel like we, we won't get it right. You ever fear, anybody ever fear that, I'm not going to get it right, so I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to share I'm not going to get it right. I don't know what to say. Fear that we don't have the right answers. Fear of rejection, that people won't accept us or maybe they'll ostracize us. They'll think we're weird. An unbelief that we're able to share. That's actually a big one, couple, that fear and unbelief. Unbelief that I'm able to, that I have the ability to share anything. As if I'm, I'm, I'm completely unworthy. What, what do I have to give? And instead of seeing that, wait a minute, I, I actually have something that's not of myself. I have living water to give. This passage has something to say to everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And it addresses all of the fears that we just listed. And we need to hear what this passage says to us. Last week we saw that this, this Samaritan woman, she was thirsty. She was, she was longing for fulfillment, for satisfaction. She wanted something to satisfy her. And for whatever reason, she'd been married five times. And, and after that, she's still looking. Marriage didn't do it, so maybe outside of marriage will satisfy now, Jesus had to reveal her need to meet her need. And often he does that. He exposes our need for him before he reveals that he is the one who meets every need. And he does that with this woman. He, he exposes that fact that, that she needs redemption. She needs satisfaction that relationships can provide. And he is the one. The relationship with him is the one that provides living water and satisfaction. And then here in our passage today, once she discovers that he's the Messiah, there's an immediate response. Once she, once she hears his word, hears his message, this message, the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, she immediately responds. And I don't know about you, think back to the time when you first became a believer in Jesus Christ or when you first placed your faith in him. It, it, it created something new inside of you. And that's what we see here, is that new life sprang up. This is what Jesus was talking about. When you drink of his living water, new life springs up. And she, she immediately results in new life. And she goes out. And, and what we see in this passage is this, this unlikely woman, this unlikely candidate, she is saved. She is rescued. She drinks of living water. And I think what John wants to see, what the Holy Spirit wants to see, is that, that Jesus, he saves all kinds of people. If you're taking notes, that's, that's the, the first point we're going to look at. Jesus saves all kinds of people. He saves all kinds of people. Look in verse 42. He says in John 4, 42, We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. 
often when you read dialogue in John, it's, it's kind of the key to what is the big meaning of the passage here. And what we see is that, that Jesus is the one who saves the world. He saves all kinds of people. Now, the disciples, it opens up with something that's interesting here. The disciples, they come back, and they see Jesus, and he's speaking with this woman. Now, now the rabbis believe that if you even spoke with a woman, um, you were in danger of going to Gehenna or hell. If you wasted your time on someone less worthy, and yet this woman is, is not just a woman, she is a Samaritan woman. And the disciples probably at least heard him saying to her, I, I who speak to you am he. They might have heard the very tail end. She says, I know when Messiah comes, he'll reveal all things. And he says, I who speak to you am he. He says, just then the disciples come up. And so they've just caught the tail end of this conversation. And what they're most amazed by is not that he revealed himself as the Messiah. This is the first time, by the way, in Scripture, in all the Gospels, this is the first encounter with anyone where Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah. And I want you to think about who he does this to. He doesn't reveal himself to the Messiah, to those who are clean, to those who are religiously elite, to the educated. He doesn't reveal himself as the Messiah to those who have cleaned their act up, who are reformed. I'm not talking about reformed in the doctrinal sense, but who reformed their ways. He doesn't reveal himself to them. He reveals himself to this Samaritan woman. Because Jesus saves all kinds of people. And I love that this is the first example of the Messiah revealing himself. You see, the, the disciples might not have realized that dialogue that was going on and really what was her past, this woman's past. But they, they, just, they were rejecting the fact that she was a Samaritan and she was a woman. And surely the Messiah wouldn't speak with a woman and a Samaritan. But Jesus came to this woman. He initiated a conversation with this woman. And in doing so, he actually knew her past. Just like he knows your past and my past. He knew her, he knew her past. He knew her hurts. He knew her, her disappointments. He knew her troubles. He knew her sins, her longings. He knew everything about her. And yet, yet Jesus spoke with her, and he initiated with her, and he, he entered into a conversation with her personally, just like Jesus does with each and every person who comes to him. He knows all about you, and he initiates. That's what we see in the Gospels, really. That's what we see in the whole Bible. It's not, it's not that man initiates relationship with God. It's God initiates relationship with man. Even after the very first sin, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what do we see? Adam and Eve, they ran from God. They hid from God. And God was the one who initiated. Adam, where are you? And he made a covering for Adam. Now we see Jesus initiating and him doing this work to initiate with those who are undeserving, who he knows all the nasty stuff about. Now, I don't know about your past, but I'm not proud of my past. There are many ways where I am ashamed and embarrassed, and I don't mean just distant past. I'm just talking about when, when we were out here working and I got grumpy on, on Thursday when we were helping put up shade, and I, I got grumpy with my kids, and, and they were serving. I'm ashamed of that past, and that past makes me feel like I'm not worthy. And yet Jesus initiates to give his living water. He initiates to give his living water to all. John wants to see that about the character, the nature, the ministry of Jesus. I don't know why this woman was married five times. It's to say that maybe she was forced into each of those marriages. It's a good likelihood because women didn't have a choice in that day about who they married or 
or how often they married. They were passed down like property. She was married five times. And we at least know that that must have been painful. I, I, can, I can tell you that I, I doubt my wife would want five times of me. One is enough. Five husbands in a row. Oh, my goodness, getting used to five different men and five different men who would have seen her as probably as property. So she was in a difficult place. She had no choice, probably, due to the natural customs of her day. Maybe they all died. If so, she would have been grieved. She was hurting. She was lonely. She was desperate. And so she, she's like, I'm not doing that anymore. And so she pursued her own way. We don't know why she was living in adultery. Maybe she's disillusioned, just looking for love in and, and all the wrong places. But she was clearly ashamed from her conversation with Jesus. She was ashamed. She didn't admit when Jesus says in, in, the, in the prior passage, go and, and bring me your husband, and we'll, we'll talk about these things. And she's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you're right, but you're living with a guy now. She was clearly ashamed. Other women would have likely shunned her, but Jesus did not. He welcomed her into relationship with himself. And, and what does that reveal about him? It reveals the fact that he initiates and welcomes into relationship people who are a mess. All kinds of people. People who are troubled, who have a troubled past. People who have had bad things done to them. People who have done bad things. He initiates with people who are hurting, who are lonely, who are looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, where they cannot really find it. He also initiates with the impure. She would have been considered impure because she was a Samaritan. She would have been considered impure because she was an adulteress. And yet Jesus initiated with the impure. He wants, he wants to see his gospel as for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And most likely, she probably didn't have very much Jewish heritage or Israelite heritage in her background. They, they resettled the land, five different nations. The Assyrians had taken away the Israelites in 600 B.C. And they'd, they'd resettled the land with five different nations. And most Jews would consider Samaritans not Jewish, not from Israel. So she was a foreigner, and yet Jesus goes out of his way to accept foreigners, to initiate. And that's good news for us because we're the foreigners, right? He goes out of his way to initiate with people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every background, every skin color, every, everybody who looks different than us, and he gives them the priority of hearing who he is first. He gives living water to those who are hated, who are outcast, the lowly, impure, and unclean. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, I'm lowly, I'm impure, I'm unclean. Here's the good news. Jesus offers you his living water and says, he wants you to drink of him. And when you do, he gives you a new life despite whatever your life is like. Despite whatever your life has been like, he gives you new life. And your hope, your faith, your trust is not in your ability to self-reform. Your, ability, your trust, your faith, and hope is the fact that his living water, he promises it will well up and spring up into eternal life. Our hope is not in our performance. Our hope is in the new life he gives, that it is what creates even more life. Our hope's in Jesus, the one who gives us living water. And I love this really wonderful picture. You see this picture of this woman who goes, and we'll see in a moment, she witnesses, she, she carries out the good news, and he commissions his disciples with that same good news he treats them equally. All are treated in equal standing and value and worth, no matter of their ethnicity, their background, their standing. 
He treats all who come to him equally. He raises all the things that divide us, and he makes us a part of his family, loved by the Father like he is himself. And yet the disciples marveled at the fact that he was speaking to this woman. I think John picked this interaction really early on in the gospel to help us correct our view towards others that we might think are undeserving or scandalous. You have anybody in your life you think, not that person, God. There's no way that they can become a Christian. There's no way they can be made alive. Or maybe not that person who looks like that or is from that part of town or has that background or maybe maybe not the super rich because, boy, they're the 1%. They're awful. Or maybe maybe not the super poor because they're terrible in whatever way you think. And yet this passage corrects our thinking. Jesus is able to save all. And he speaks to all kinds and enters in a relationship with them. You know, I, I wonder, do we marvel at who God brings into relationship with us? Do, do we think that, hey, some people are unworthy or less worthy of Christ's love? And maybe that subtly reveals that we think that we ourselves are in some way more worthy of Christ's love. Now, now, maybe you look down on people of other, other political parties, or you may look down on people of other preferences, other choices, and, and, and you're letting things divide you. You think, no, those people are not really worthy of the gospel. Well, here's the thing to know. None of us are worthy. Just like this Samaritan woman was not worthy, and yet Jesus made her worthy. It wasn't her work that made her alive. It was Jesus' work that he offers it to this woman. And then we see the second thing we see is that Jesus sins, save people to save others. Jesus sins, save people to save others. Jesus speaks to this woman. What is the first thing she does? I love the, the immediacy of it. The first thing that she does, it says, the woman left her water. No, she came here to, to draw water, right? If, if you're living in this area, in Samaria, it's dry. It's the middle of the country. There's not a lot of shade trees. There's not a lot of water sources there. It's dry, it's barren. Obviously, she's going in the middle of the day. She's thirsty, she needs water. And yet she leaves this very jar that she came to draw water with. Why? Because Jesus had affected her so much that she saw that something way more important is going on. And so she runs, she leaves her, her, her water jar, and she goes away into the town. She can't wait to, to witness. She can't wait to share her testimony, her story with other people. Sometimes, sadly, I think we, we lose that wonder. We lose that sense of wonder at the fact that we've been made alive, that we have living water to drink. We've been made alive. And sometimes I think our occupation, her occupation, she kind of left her occupation behind. She left her business behind. And she saw that, hey, the first thing I need to do is go and share. Is that how we see our lives? That we've been given living water, and, and that's the greatest thing we can be engaged in. Jesus affects this woman so dramatically, and he uses this woman to save others as well. She forgets her thirst and need because she was so satisfied with the living water. And she goes and tells other people about Jesus. And then look what she said. Look down in your Bible. It says, she said, this is not, by the way, a complex apologetic. If you're thinking, I don't know how to share the good news, I want you to be encouraged by her testimony. This is not a complex apologetic. 
She doesn't have a reasoned, well-thought-out plan of attack. She doesn't have this, this dramatic strategy. She's not like, okay, now, now all those things can be good. By the way, we should strategize. How do we go and reach people? Those are good. How do we, how do we tell people about Jesus in ways that they'll understand? Those are good. But here is something really simple to see. She shares very simply. Look at the Bible. She says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? Now, I don't think she's actually asking that question here. She's enticing them to wonder, this man, he told me all I could ever be. Could he be the Christ? What do you think? Come and see. And she invites them to come and see because that's what they do. She didn't wait till she got a theological education. She didn't wait till she knew all the right answers, read all the right books. She didn't wait till she learned apologetics. She didn't wait till she cleaned her life up. This is immediate. She's still the same person in one sense, but in another sense, she's completely brand new. She's not even changed her behavior yet, really. Now, we know that if she's been made new, her behavior will change. Things, new life will result. But all she's done so far is just respond. She's a, a, an infant as a Christian. She's a brand new believer. And she's, she's discovered the truth about Jesus, and it sets her alive. We come to know Jesus. We want to share the good news because we are made to share the good news. You realize that, that God made us. The reason why people like gossip so much, because God made us to, to gossip good news, the good news about him. And I'm not, not endorsing the kind of gossip that's, that's negative people, gossiping about people, but this, this sharing of good news, it's, it's a gossiping about the gospel. It's, a, it's I just going to tell everybody about what I've seen, about this man, Jesus, come and see this one who told me all. That I ever did. Now, if you don't desire to share the good news, it should at least make us wonder why not. Is the good news about Jesus good to you still? Are you drinking of his living water? Now, sometimes we can, the reason why we're, we're not thrilled is because we're not drinking of the good water. We, we've, we've drunk of his water, he's made us alive, and yet we go to other wells, other cisterns we viewed out for ourselves doesn't mean you're not a believer necessarily, but maybe you become dull to who Jesus is. You need to rediscover the joy of drinking of his living water for yourself again. The fact that he takes all, no matter of your background, no matter what you've done, no matter what you currently are doing, and he offers you living water and redemption and salvation. The Samaritan woman, she spontaneously trumpets the news of Jesus to every, all the people. And look out in verse 30, it has an immediate effect, right? This is a very simple message. And yet God uses this very simple message to come see this man who told me all that I ever did, and it has a profound effect. People started flocking out to him, and the implication is that they were all going out of town, and there's a stream of people streaming out to see him. I want to give you faith. When you share the gospel, you're not the one who creates the effect or the response. God does that, and he can use your simple words to bring people to him. People going out of town, and the disciple is in the meanwhile. He's have this picture. So she's about, she's sharing her testimony, come see this man. And the disciples, they'd come back with food. They Remember, they went into town to get food for Jesus, the rabbi. And he's like, man, I'm too tired. I'll hang here. You guys go on ahead. They come back with food. And they're like, hey, rabbi, eat. And he says, nah, I'm good. Now, I know that if, if, um, if this was me and my wife, I don't think this would be a, a favorable interaction, I'll say. 
if, if, um, if I'm like, I'm really hungry. And she's like, all right, we don't need food in the house. I'm going to go out and get food. I'm going to bring it back. And we'll make a meal. She makes this meal. She sets it down in front of me. I'm like, no, I'm good. I, I've got food already. I, she, she might at least raise her eyebrow. I'm like, what do you mean? She might be a little offended. The disciples naturally ask him, what, what, what do you mean? But they don't, they don't ask him because they know better because it's gotten in the trouble. And so they, they say, they, Peter, they're like, does somebody else give him food? Like, do you see food somewhere? Like, what's up with that? Do you see food? What they should have realized is that by now is that Jesus, he, he makes these mysterious statements to set them up to draw them into a conversation. Just like he did the woman at the well. He said, you know, if you knew who was at asking you for water, then you'd ask me and I'd give you living water. She's like, what in the world? Same thing with your disciples. Same thing with Nicodemus. We see that, that pattern throughout. Jesus piques our curiosity to get us asking questions so that he can then reveal the truth to us. And so he says, I have food you don't, you don't know about. And they were like, well, anybody, has anybody brought on food? Look down at verse 34. Jesus says, my food, this kind of cryptic statement, my food is to do the will of, of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What was he saying here? He was saying that he was satisfied, he was truly fulfilled by doing the, the primary thing that God called him to do. The thing that satisfied him the most, that gave him the most sat sense of satisfaction, fulfillment, that satiated him, that filled his hunger, the thing that filled him the most was that he was doing what God had primarily put him on earth to do. Now, if you are a Christian, I want you to think for a second, what is it that God has primarily put you here on earth to do? Now, everybody here has got all kinds of different occupations and professions and some are post-profession. Everybody, everybody has different things they do for work. What is, what is your primary work as a believer? I would submit to you as this. It's, 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 you know, I love the Westminster Confession. Our, our chief end is to enjoy God, to, to worship God by enjoying him, how Piper would put it. But really our, our chief task, our chief occupation is to be witnesses. Every disciple of Jesus is to be a witness. Now, in your occupation, that doesn't mean your occupation is not important. It's critically important because you're going to reach people in your occupation that someone else cannot reach. You're going to reach people as an artist that, that non-artists might not be reached, as a dancer that people might be reached, as a, as a painter, as a, as, a, as a trash guy, as a doctor, as a, as a woodworker. Whatever your endeavor, as a counselor, whatever your occupation, remember that your chief occupation is to use that occupation to be witnesses to Jesus. To draw the people to himself, because that's what God is about the business of doing, drawing all people to himself. And so Jesus is saying that my food is to do the will of him. My, the thing that satisfies me the most, the thing that will be satisfying for us the most is, is to do the will of him who sent us. And that's, that's what he does with all his disciples. He sends us. And then he, and he turns to the disciples and he says, don't you have a saying? And he tells them something that's probably a proverb. He says, don't you say there's yet four months that comes to harvest? Because after they had they finished this two-month series of season of planting, it would take about two months to plant. After that season, about two months, four months later, we come to harvest. And they say, well, we did some work. We're going to wait and see. And Jesus is saying, hey, well, you're talking to me right now. I want you to look up. And he probably looked over the hill from, from where the sidecar was, just a little ways away. And, and he sees their, their white robes kind of glowing white in the sun. Because in that area, they would, they would wear white robes. And so he looks over and he says, he says, the fields are ripe 
for harvest. Don't think that the good news is something that has to take a long time or that you've got to do a lot of different work and that you have to, you have to wait. He says, look, the gospel has an immediate effect. I want you to look for it. I want you to anticipate that. I want you to have faith that the gospel can and does have an immediate effect. And he says, already, this is, this is not normal. Normally, in agriculture, somebody sows, and then a long time later, somebody reaps. He goes, he goes look, the one who reaps is receiving wages and is sowing, gathering fruit for eternal life. And what a privilege it is is that as we who are sent ones, we've been given the, the message of the gospel, we get to gather fruit for eternal life. He says, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Do you rejoice in the fact that you get to extend living water to others? You get, you get to offer eternal life of Jesus to other people, and that when they come to him, you can rejoice that he's using you in some way to bring in his harvest. And look at verse 38. He says, I sent you. He looks at his disciples, and he's just like this woman has already gone. I sent you. Now, I don't know if he's implying that they haven't yet gone. They're following him. But he says, I sent you to reap for that which you didn't labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. Probably talking about all the law and the prophets have come before. And says, now is the time to enter into that labor. I sent you. And they're beginning to reap. And it doesn't end with them. We're sent to reap a harvest and gather fruit for eternal life. What could be more important? What could be more important? What could be more satisfying than to do the work of him who sent us? I send you, he says. And before that, he's like, nothing's more satisfying to me than doing the work of him who sent me. And, and as, as our Savior, as a perfect human, we need to see that nothing is more satisfying to us ultimately than to do the work of him who sent us. Same time, we need to see that we can't do it alone. He says, others have labored. You're going to enter into the labor. Know this, that none of us can do it alone. We're not alone. And some labor, others reap. When we share the gospel, though, here's the good news. We enter into the work that God has already done and currently is doing. We can trust that he prepared the way beforehand. We can expect him to bear fruit. I want you to expect to bear fruit. Jesus wants you to expect to bear fruit. He wants you to expect there to be a harvest. He wants you to expect his living water to transform, to well up in eternal life, and, and, and he wants you to begin to be his witnesses. And I think he must encourage you that it, it doesn't need some complex reason to respond. Now, it's good to have a reason to respond, but it doesn't need that. It needs you being honest about, hey, you know what? I'm a mess up. I've messed up my whole life. And yet somehow, Jesus, who knew everything about me, he came to me, and he offered me living water. And he made me alive, and, and I can see in my life that the new things are happening. I'm, not everything's new yet, but all things are becoming new. And I'm growing, and this water is having an effect, and it's watering my soul, and I find satisfaction in him. And, and, and I, I was thirsty for all these other things. And sometimes I turn to those other things still, and I get thirsty for those. I think that, that my thirst will be satisfied with those other things, but when I turn to him, I, I find that my thirst is truly satisfied in him. That's the kind of witness we can be. Come and see this one who is the chosen one of God who, who came to take away the sins of the world. Come to see this one who, instead of being tainted by sin, takes our sin on himself and takes every bit of taintedness away. 
so that we're washed clean from our sins. The one who came to bear all of our sins, as John has already told us, the, the, the Lamb of God who came to, to take away the sins of the world by bearing our sins on his own body on the cross. We can say, come, I, I've discovered the Messiah. Come, I, I've discovered this one who took all my sins. And he knows who I am, and he still knows who I am, and I'm still a mess up, and yet he still counts all of my sins as if they're completely paid for. Because he completely paid for them. And, and come and, and discover the one that I found out that I deserve so much wrath. I, I, I have enmity against God. I hated God, and, and I was hating other people. And yet, instead of punishing me, he gives me fresh, clean water to drink. He gives me new life. Come and see this one. They believe as a result of a simple testimony. Look at verse 39. It says, many from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And, and he stayed with them. Jesus didn't find them unworthy. He stayed with those who were unworthy. And he brought them to himself. You ask Jesus to come and stay with you. He stays. And he came and stayed with these Samaritans for two days, it says. When he shared the word with them, they heard the word of truth for themselves. They believed in him for themselves. I, I love that. Look at verse 41. It says, many more believe because of his word. Ultimately, when we, we share our testimony, what we know is that his word is going to have an effect and that people will come to believe because of his word, ultimately. Our hope's not in our message, but our hope is in his word. And that his word brings many people to life in him. And look, they said that the woman in verse 42 is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. When we do our small work of sharing our imperfect testimony, we don't know the effect that many more will come to believe. I love that this woman, she brings people to Jesus and then many more come to believe. And I don't know how many more thousands or millions of people came to Christ because of this one woman's testimony and that word spread. And hearing her testimony wasn't the end. This, the faith that they had rested on a personal knowledge of Jesus, just like our faith. It ultimately rests on a personal knowledge of Jesus. But it's the means of testimony that enables people to know about Jesus for themselves. Are you using that means? Do you see this means that God's given you and are you experiencing eternal life for yourself? And, and, and from that, living water will flow witness. The Samaritans got it. They're no longer a question of who Jesus is. And I love that the first people to make the confession of who Jesus really is, aside from John the Baptist, the first people to become born again in response to hearing the message and, and proclaiming, making this profession of faith, they're foreign, pagan, unacceptable people. Just like us. And on their lips, the confession is particularly striking. They would, they would have been told for hundreds of years that they weren't good enough. The Samaritans would have heard for hundreds of years that they, they were mere half-breeds at best, that they were unacceptable, that, that their belief was wrong, that they were tainted at best, they were second class, they could never know God on their own. Maybe you've heard that yourself. But Jesus comes to those who are discriminated against. Those of other backgrounds, those of other ethnicities, he embraces them as his own. 
And I love that those on the outside are included as his new people, you know, the first ones to make this profession. And they become a part of his eternal purposes. And they see that Jesus wasn't just the Savior of people who've got it all together. He wasn't the Savior of Jews alone, the morally upright, the acceptable, the right kind of person. No, he's the Savior of the world and all the wrong kind of people. And he makes us right. He makes every kind of person from every kind of place and background to drink of his living water and be saved. No matter what your occupation, we have been sent to reap because the harvest is ripe. And don't think that COVID or mass stopped that. We can still share a simple testimony or simple witness. No matter what our occupation, we've been sent to reap because the harvest is ripe. And this occupation of being witnesses, it is the goal of all of our occupations. Whether you're employed, not employed, you're employed by Jesus. What's, what's, the, main, what's the main idea that we walk away with in this passage? It's really simple. It's, it's that our witness flows from drinking the living water. Our witness flows from drinking the living water that Jesus gives. May we drink deeply. I'm going to ask the band to come forward. As they do, I want to encourage you to, to drink deeply of the living water that he provides. Maybe you've been looking to other sources, other things. Maybe you've been seeking satisfaction, fulfillment in other causes. Maybe you've been seeking satisfaction and fulfillment in other people. Maybe you've been seeking satisfaction and fulfillment in your job or what you can get done. And he wants us to seek satisfaction, fulfillment, and drinking of him that he gives us new life and all things are made new. Behold, all things are passed away. The new has come. No matter where you are today, his living water is powerful. And it's, it's a spring that, that wells up. It explodes up into eternal life. It can't be contained. His new life will have an effect, and, and, and his new life from that will, will flow our witness. Let's drink fresh from his living water. Then might we leave our water jars behind and go and tell other people about it. Amen? Let's stand and sing together. If you're thinking you're unworthy, in one sense you're right. On your own you are, just like that woman was. But it's Jesus that makes us worthy, and that's our hope. And so maybe you need to confess again, Jesus, you've made me worthy. It's your living water that makes me worthy. It's your eternal life. You make me worthy. It's your worth that gives me worth. And let that living water spring up again inside of you. Let's sing together.